The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, like the intro says. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Pretty simple. Um, they have everything you'd want from a fantasy basketball perspective. If you're into betting, they have that as well. They go into baseball, they go into football. You want your general NBA coverage, they have that as well, including this podcast buyers truly so you want it they have it definitely make sure to check that out would greatly appreciate that also listeners while you're at that please take a moment to follow at ethos fantasy bk on twitter the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth get all your nba news in one handy twitter feed fast in the competition and provides more analysis as well again that's at ethos fantasy bk on twitter follow now all right, y'all, listen, I am pumped. Uh, time y'all listen, this will be Monday, the 20th of March. We are moving out of March almost as quickly as we got into it. It feels like I was ushering in the beginning of March just a couple of days ago uh, and not a couple weeks ago. But I am pumped to have on a very special guest, a uh, big fan of his work. You can find him in a variety of places, but um, most notably on Locked on NBA Draft. If you're on NBA Twitter, you've seen a tweet by him. Uh, it's at Mavs Draft, Mavs, Magic Draft, uh, Richard, that's 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 all I'm going in for the intro. I'm fumbling my way through. Sir, I am just pumped to have you on. How are you doing today? Hey, I appreciate you having me. I'm doing well. Uh, very excited to talk some basketball with you. Definitely, man. Definitely. Always excited. It's been something I've been thinking for a while. I've been interacting with you, of course, for a bit now, on and off, just on Twitter. I'm like, I need to ask this guy, like, just to talk basketball. And then, you know, the, t- the goes and it comes, the idea and life, and we're on it. So I'm happy. But yeah, man, I'm pumped. Um, just speaking of, I mean, obviously you, you, you cover the, you've been on the magic, you've been on the Mavs, you're an NBA draft kind of expert, um, NBA media, of course, podcast hosts with all of these different hats. Like, can you describe your basketball journey up to this point? Like, how did you kind of get into this? I mean, it's not only encouraging, inspiring to myself, but I'm always intrigued to learn the stories of others in this lovely, but insane field. Yeah, I I learned to read by reading the transaction reports all the way back in 1999. Uh, That's how my parents were, I guess, you know, and I loved basketball. So I was like, hey, it worked. I remember BJ Armstrong retiring or one of the Armstrongs had retired. And that was one of the first things I remember reading. And uh, really, I just fell in love with the game. My first life memory is a magic game. I'm from Orlando. That's where the magic gloves come from. Love it. Um, But I moved to Dallas in 1999 and, uh, you know, I couldn't choose just one team it's just very uh very descriptive of who i am i'm very indecisive so <laughs> i uh, i kept both and i uh yeah ever since pretty much the 2004 nba draft i've been a fan of the draft since dwight howard came in and you know that was the first time either of my teams really had a draft pick that meant something and i was looking up this dwight howard guy before youtube and everything and blew me away and it, it made me inspired to kind of want to see the next wave of the future before it really hit you know, I don't want to say the mainstream waves, but like, you know, before it got popular and then 2017 started a Mavs draft really just as a way to 
preach that Donovan Mitchell should be a Mav in 2017 and uh, without distracting, without bothering the group of people who I who I had following me, which was a lot of honestly like sorority girls from my girlfriend's sorority. Uh, and I was like, you know, this isn't my target audience. They don't care about sports. Like none of these people care about basketball. And now we're here. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, I love that, man. That's kind of cool. Like, I mean, targeting your love early. I like that too. Like you said, different. I'm, I'm a Lakers fan by heart, but like general basketball fan, but I like the magic. I like, I have a rotating list of like four teams every year that are like also going to be my focus. So I think it's funny. I was always drawn to the magic math. I'm like, why can't you like to let's normalize liking more than just one squad, you know? Um, but that is really cool in terms of branching out and, and uh, be finding your target audience from an initial base that may not have been who you were <laughs> looking to, uh, to target there. But um, okay. I have to ask then. So Dwight Howard being like the first kind of prospect that you were um, that you really kind of focused on. Was it interesting with both the Magic and, and Mavs being contenders like that 2008 to like 2012-ish range, was it interesting kind of looking at the draft, even though you knew that your team probably weren't going to have any lottery picks? I'm glad you asked that question and not the complete opposite end of that, uh, <laughs> of what it was like having two teams that could face off in the finals. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a good you know, I, I think that's kind of where I – I mean, I was a teenager at that point, so I was still pretty young. But mm. I think for the most part, it's kind of when I polished out, hey, this is like what the draft is. And I got to, you know, you're getting older, you're maturing. And like, you can kind of see, you know, around I was like 16 when I started really appreciating the draft a lot more just objectively, more than just, hey, what can the Mavs and Magic do? Mm. And that's kind of when that evolved was when both those teams were really good. Now, on the other end, it sucked. The Having them knowing that they could face off in the finals any minute. Yeah. And people, dude, I, I think my number one ice-breaking question from when I told people I was a Mavs and Magic fan, they go, so who do you root for in the finals? And I'm, like, I'm not answering this question. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of, t- yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, you you kind of want both to win, and you're still going to feel kind of bummed if either goes down because you followed these teams for well over a decade plus at that point. Yeah, and I, I just, it, it was a nightmare for me, dude. I, I would wake up and sweat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, after Dallas went in 2011, it was in play. You know what I mean? Like, hey, they, they could. I mean, look at real quick. I have to ask that too. Being a math fan during that time watching, I this would have bugged me relentlessly. I mean, the Lakers kind of did something similar after that 2020 championship team. But you take a team that won, you have the blueprint set, and then you go and just chuck it up. Why? Like, as a fan, you know, you've seen them say, hey, we're just going to offload some salad. We're going to make a big run at free agents 2013, but like we just won a championship just now. Like, was there any sort of like, what are you doing type kind of thought there? You know, that's what most people here think. I, I'm not, I guess I'm in the minority where I'm like, they wouldn't have won. They would not have won another championship with that Mm. squad. They caught lightning in a bottle, but they did do dark dirty and they totally abandoned him from there on out pretty much 2014, 15 was in like to 16, I guess was a nice little redemption, but that wasn't it. And they kind of just screwed Dirk over the rest of his career after that's kind of where that's really my issue. Wasn't exactly that they didn't bring back that team. It's more that they didn't really try to even surround Dirk while he was still in his prime. I get what you mean. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't do him right the last couple of years. And especially once they let Monte Ellis and them go, I think the last iteration of like a quasi contending team. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But wow. Well, they mean to take it down to such a downer there on a Mavs note. But um, Looking at your kind of evolution from, I mean, you still uh, 
fan of both teams still follow both i love your in your your kind of deep dives on different players on both sides especially the magic uh just because there's so many young players on that team that are interesting to keep track of from a development perspective but looking at the development looking at your um you know locked on nba draft and your nba draft kind of prowess there what do you kind of take looking at this year's draft kind of shifting focus more to this draft class as a whole like um, how do you think about this class compared to like the 2021 and maybe even the 2020 draft class? I know everyone's different. I'm just now getting into like following the NBA draft earlier, like we're listening to your pod. And obviously I've um, known Raphael for a couple of years, Raphael Barlow, working, having him on the show, listening to him. So I've just started to expand my like pod, like not podcast, but like draft understanding beyond just, oh, March, March Madness, NBA draft coming up. Let's go. You know, how do you kind of look at it since you're following this year round? What are your initial thoughts on this draft class yeah uh first of all i mean the following starting march is pretty normal and you're really not that far behind or anything because the hardest part about the in-season scouting is saying like is this a guy or is this just someone who had a good game or is this someone who's going to be good at college but pretty much if you start following march that stuff's mostly been set i've added like one new name i think in the whole last month of march uh so that's not really you know that's the hardest part i think you're not missing a ton in terms of, oh, I missed watching him. There's so many full games on YouTube, highlights, things like that, that really do tell a full picture. But uh, to answer the question, you know, we've been spoiled by the last five or six drafts. Pretty much all of them since 2016 have been better than this one, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> even 20, it's closest to 2020. It's like if you put, if you took out one of Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards from 2020, that's kind of how I would look at this draft. I don't see a franchise changer. I think you're going to get a lot of good, very good players. Like the top four, I'd be Chet has the most chance to bust, but even then Mo Bamba is still in the league and getting love and like Chet's a better player than him. So I can't see most of the top four busting. Um, that's kind of unique. It's a high floor draft, though, not a really high ceiling draft. You're on mute. It's my fault. Mute myself. Do it once a show, by the way, Richard. So there we go. At least we got it out of the weather here early. <laughs> <laughs> once in a show like either i'll realize it or my guests be like hey you're muted but um, <laughs> i'm gonna keep that in first posterity's sake but going in like that's interesting that you say that because looking at the top of this draft class i guess is a great segue into kind of focusing on some of these guys i was thinking like, okay you know at least 2020 there was like a zion 2021 there was a cade like there's this one like transcendent guy i guess potentially check could be that guy but there wasn't as many questions about Cade, from what I remember, there was questions about Zion in terms of durability and his weight and his frame, some of which is, has borne some fruit, you know, as we've seen over the last couple of years. But for the most part, there was so much talk about how great that player could be that any kind of talk about, you know, the downside was in the way kind of mitigated just by the, the lavish praise that was put upon that player. And there were several. I mean, Evan Mobley got a lot of love. Um, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball back then got a lot of love. Like there was several players who have received that. I feel like this year I've heard a lot about Chet. Um, early on, I heard a lot about Paolo. There was a moment like around January where like all I heard was Jabari Smith Jr. I'm still on that train. But kind of going um, into that, you mentioned how Chet, you know, possibly high risk, high reward type player, but that well, more than likely is still going to have a spot in the league, even if he doesn't, you know, reach the expectations there. But um, I guess looking at that, is this in terms of potential NBA stars, top heavy like you mentioned like just top three or so or do you think that there are other players that okay they're not gonna be stars but like we look back on them and be like okay second best player in the nba team like yeah i didn't see that coming or like you did say okay you know what player x i did see kind of sliding in the tertiary role as like 
a steady shot maker, offensive initiator type. Yeah, I think for the most part, I'd say two of the two or three of the top four uh, should make an all-star appearance. It's it's pretty good in that way. It's just like, you know, with Cade, our question was like, is he a superstar or an all-star? And it was kind of nitpicking at that point. Whereas here, it's like, okay, is this guy a star or like a really good role player? Or just, I mean, is he a superstar? We really just don't know. It's a lot more variability to it. Um, The top four, I think, generally is Jabari Smith, Chet, Paolo, Jaden Ivey. Um, so I think for two of the four of those will probably pan out pretty, pretty well. And then one will be good and then one should bust. I mean, that's just kind of the numbers of the game, but some other guys that stand out is that, that couldn't, I'm just kind of stick to the lottery here. Uh, Jalen Duren is someone who's really tough to evaluate. The Memphis system is terrible. Uh, he doesn't have <laughs> offense outside of the paint and that really worries me. And I don't know how his pick and roll defense in terms of like skill and IQ are, but that's a big swing skill for me. Like he has all the physical tools to succeed. Can he actually put it all together? Um, Nikola Jovic over in Europe is a guy who he's a 6'10 shot creator. And if that translates, I mean, that's a star. And then Shaden Sharp, who's a weird situation at yes. Kentucky. He, he reclassified. He was supposed to be graduating in a month or two, but instead enrolled early at Kentucky. And he's a three-level score with length and finishes like Jalen Green, athletic like him can shoot as all the makings of the superstar. And then one last one, um, you know, I think someone who's really popped out this year is Tari Eason at LSU. He transferred in from Cincinnati. was an absolute no name and turned into a really good player. who can just, he's like Patrick Williams on steroids to me. Oh, wow. That is, that is pretty dope. Okay. Yeah. I've heard, I mean, Shane Sharp, I thought was interesting. I'm glad you brought him out. Uh, Tori Eason. I heard only a little bit of, I mean, listening like, you know, through the, through the draft expert vine there, but that is really kind of cool. I mean, a higher upside Patrick Williams and that time type of uh, potential athleticism and such. That's pretty crazy. Um, I guess kind of going from there, thanks for kind of fleshing out some of the lottery, by the way, but like, what is your personal philosophy of, you know, best player available in the draft versus team needs? And how would you apply it with a specific draft class? I've been trying to do some mock drafts, just messing around for my own type of personal, um, I don't want to say personal intelligence, but like just trying to learn and kind of build on some philosophies in my own head. Okay, if the Pistons draft second overall and Chet's off the board or Apollo's their guy, like in that sort of mindset, you know, in this draft class, let's say you are, I don't know, I'm thinking the Orlando Magic and you select third or fourth, right? Apollo, Chet, Jabari, let's say all three are gone. Like, are you looking now at like another best player in that case, like just next half the board or looking for a team need realizing that we have like all these young guards, you know? And like, yeah, Jalen Sykes had a rough start to his rookie year, but he kind of studied the course more or less the second half of the season or, you know, Cole Anthony has been nice. Like how are you kind of looking at that philosophy of best player available or team needs in this draft specifically? Yeah. So there's only two teams. I'm really, I would say tied to in terms of positional fit. Okay. in this draft and that's Orlando and San Antonio if either of them are in position to pe- get Jaden Ivey the Spurs a little bit more have a little bit more leeway in this but you know the magic for the last I guess in the last five drafts they have somebody from those drafts at guard so mm-hmm. like all but one and you know that's that's bold and what whatever your stance is on them you could say you know they have a lot of bench guards not any really star guards fine um, but what if Jaden Ivy? I mean, like we've seen Jalen Suggs is supposed to be that guy who's not a bench guard, but right now his offense is horrible in the yeah. NBA this year. So what's, what if Jaden Ivy does it, then you're in the same situation. This is just kind of one of the consequences of 
they drafted guards you're straight now they have to live with the punishment of if there's another guard in this draft that they almost by nature have to punt uh but ultimately i think that's really guards is really the position i think where it's like that's when you shouldn't have overlap because that's the easiest position to get cannibalism in where you know if cole anthony uh rj hampton markel Fultz, jalen suggs and Jaden Ivey are there they're not helping each other grow they're all just competing and like you want healthy competition that's full on like you're, they're not getting better for the team. They're getting better for themselves or whatever. It, it could lead to a lot of issues. But ultimately, best player available unless you have a situation like that. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought that out. I was even thinking if they if the Magic did draft another guard, it's like basically to like old guard, if literally <laughs> with Markel Fultz kind of being the first star of the rebuild, and then of course Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and now this next guy. Like that's that's uh, several different players that, like you said, would probably work out to the detriment of each other, just having them all in that same area. But I always find that interesting, especially since, like you said, there are some teams that like, yeah, you know, they draft this guy, you know, by looking at who he is as a player, great. But like, by looking at who we also have on the roster, at what point do we overlook that and say, hey, let's try to take off the table. So I'm really glad you kind of brought that out a little bit. Um, I guess shifting from that more to this top heavy kind of part of the draft, um, just kind of your thoughts, because we could just kind of put on the bigs. You, you've already mentioned a few of them kind of rapid fire. So we could kind of whatever time you want to devote on Jabari, um, Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and Jalen Duran, And then we could maybe talk about Jaden Ivey and another guard or two that you're interested in. Just kind of getting your your thoughts, a little bit of a mini kind of report on these guys, um, just by the level of interest that you have in them as a prospect. Yeah, so... Uh, do you want me just to kind of go down the list and give a rundown? Oh, or, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go boom, boom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can no, go. Wanna, yeah, let's start with Jabari and then we'll do Paolo yeah, Chet so and go down. Mm-hmm. Works out exactly in that order. Actually, so I was going to say let's just do big board. Uh, I love it. I have Jabari number one, Chet I'm number down. two. So uh, I'll go in order. You'll kind of pick up the trend. They're not all in a row, obviously, but oh, yeah. uh, the first three I do are my top three. So Jabari Smith. The way the way I've heard about him is. NBA teams, if the draft happened today, he's the first pick. For most teams um, wow. I've talked to, they say, you know, Chet's body's not going to hold up for an 82-game season, and Jabari is a safely better player than Paolo. Now, the last time I talked to someone within the NBA was at the very end of the regular season. And mind you, Jabari had been playing his ass off all season. Paolo had really been slipping his final 10 games. Entering the ACC tournament, he was shooting 39% from the field, and he's 6'10", 6'11", so like, that's really bad. Uh, whereas Jabari just he kept going his three-point shot is elite he's probably the best first round shooter in the draft he has great size he can play defense I do think there's some creation ability but some of it still needs to be unlocked he also needs to just get better at slashing and being aggressive Uh, ultimately with him you're looking at a bigger Clay Thompson in my opinion Uh, take away some of the shooting make him like a poor man's Clay Thompson but add four inches and you have that. It, it's not exactly one to one because you know Clay's the number one, number two shooter probably in the game right now or all time, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Him and Steph are elite. Not going to put those pressures on Jabari. Uh, moving on to the next one, Chet Holmgren. Unless you have, sorry, do you want me to pause? Oh no, absolutely. You know, go on. I was I was in love with the with the Jabari description because I'm enamored with the shooting that a guy like that can bring to the table. Like, okay, yes, you know, on dribble, like stuff like that. There's questions, but like. The Duke can shoot. Like, this is the NBA. The shooters, you're going to find a spot. And he has defensive upside already that he's showing just a great effect that you're probably going to get more of in general. But, yeah, no, honestly, you're the expert here. I'm, I'm just soaking all this information, man. Keep going. <laughs> cool. So I'll, I'll just pause after each one. So Chet, oh, okay. Holmgren, uh, Chet Holmgren, we all know the, the biggest knock on him. He's skinny. Uh, I, yeah. I personally don't think it's as big of an issue 
you know, as, as people make it out to be, people are like, well, how's he going to guard this player, this player? It's like, okay, first of all, who guards Giannis? Who guards Embiid? Who guards Jokic? Like, fine. If that's a really your bar of guarding the greatest centers of our generation. Um, then, wow, lower the bar a little bit. Like, Christoph <laughs> Porzingis couldn't do it, and he was an all-star. So, like, I, I think that's a very poor way to look at it because you're looking at somebody who, Chet Holmgren, in my opinion, of the time I've been heavily scouting NBA draft stuff, this goes about 12 years, 11, 12 years. He's not the best shot blocking timing I've ever seen. He does need to work on, uh, you know, biting on some fakes still because he just knows so well and teams can manipulate that. But ultimately his shot blocking instincts are just unreal. They're elite. They're, they're about as perfect as you can draw up. He's also got a great frame where he can see over defenses and pass. He's got a really good basketball IQ. And just his defense is going to translate. He can contest shots on the perimeter. And even when he's beat in the paint, he can still recover well because of that length. He can still impact the shots. He shut down Jalen Duran, who tried bullying him the whole way down the court. Every single time he was in the paint, he tried just out-muscling him. And, you know, sometimes Chet gets beat on that, but he still holds his own. And, again, the IQ just really keeps him going. And on top of that, he's brought the ball up the floor a few times and just walked into threes. It's really impressive. You look at what Mo Bamba has been able to do and and I guess really not do, but because he's been pretty disappointing. But if you added, if you made Mo Bamba a little bit better and a better decision maker and more skilled with the ball in his hands, not like to make a superstar, but I mean, like that's really what you have with Chet and that is a superstar mold. So I really like him. Uh, I, I think if he can create his own offense in a little bit of space off the dribble, in the NBA, which that is the superstar unlocking key, then he's going to be really good. I like that, definitely. I know on the defensive side, especially, I mean, we saw what he did. We're going to bring him up in a minute, but Jalen Duran, who I was like, okay, we're going to see some real, like, you know, physical, phys- phys- physicality speaking. Like, Jalen Duran was insane, but looking at how Chet just swallowed him up literally with his length was pretty crazy. But I have a question um, for him on the offensive side, um, especially the shooter, like the three ball. It seems like he definitely has. Like, are you are you confident in his like general overall offensive game possibly being like a steady contributor? Do you see someone like you know twenty points per game? I I guess I have more questions on the offensive side of the ball, even though because he's not like I don't think I would like he's reminds me of Kristaps like I guess in frame and, and the shooting ability, but like Kristaps I think is a way better shooter. Unless correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, way better, way better. You are perfectly correct uh-huh. on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the difference is I think is. You know, Chet may be able to hit some jab step threes, hit some, you know, one dribble, uh, well, fakes and step backs, things like that. I think he has a little bit more advanced shot creation ability. And the fact that I, I think he'll also shoot threes at, at at least above league average level near that range, not like anything excessive, like 40%, but he's going to be in that 35, 40 range. And I think that combination of things is really special. I don't really know what he does. I, I don't want to say inside the paint, but I mean, like, I don't know how he's going to drive on players that are stronger than him. That's really where the the strength issue comes for me. And, you know, that it's limited him in high school. He was able to put the ball on the floor, dance around guys, posterize them because he was taller and the guys in high school, just like, I mean, we know this, your body isn't fully matured at 17 years old. No. And in the NBA, you know, it's going against grown men and it'll take time. I, I think the biggest thing with him is be patient. Okay. Definitely. Wow. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Um, looking on from, from Chet to Paolo, I mean, he's someone that on the offensive side of the ball, I imagine there isn't a whole lot of questions. Um, I guess a yeah. few in terms of shooting, but yeah, why don't you go into Paolo a little bit here? Yeah. So he's got three level scoring upside. He's about six ten, give or take an inch either way. 
Um, he's good with both hands. He can, he can create his own shot. He can shoot over defenses. He has a really good uh, face-up jump shot. Like Duke loves putting him in that mid post. He turns around a little bit without dribbling and then just pops it right over the defender. Really hard to stop. And he can also play off ball very well. We're noticing this. Uh, if you've noticed the trend, both him and Jabari, their jump shots are very strong. Yeah. The issues with him. Well, I actually, I'll say one more strength. The another strength of his is I think his passing is way more advanced than Jabari. That's a big edge. He uses, he, he knows how to use his height a little bit better as a passer. Whereas I think Jabari knows how to use his height as a score. Uh, he finds cutters very well, but on the opposite end of the weaknesses, if you watch some of his turnovers, I'd say probably 40 to 50% of his turnovers are him not being able to make a post-entry pass, like to Mark Williams. Mark Williams has sealed his guy, and he's like, I don't know, and he throws it like three feet to the left, and it's really bad. Uh, but the thing is, like, if that's your biggest issue as, your, as a passer, passer, excuse me, sure, you have some fundamentals to work on, but that's not like, it's not like a glaring flaw. It's a very simple thing. It should be easy to fix if you're able to – if you have other strengths as a playmaker uh, and then defensive effort is a little bit uh, or skill, both a little bit at times come and go. And then also as he gets, as he gets closer to the rim, uh, when he played Florida state at home, there was a game. I mean, that game, he, every time he got the ball within 10 feet, I don't think he saw another teammate. So things like that, they kind of got to scare you, but that's uh, that should be the worst thing. That's that's nice. That's nice. I especially realized um, just most recently watching some just highlights and stuff of him, some scouting things on YouTube, like that passing, and the reads, like you said. It's funny how like some of the more advanced stuff are like some of the passes I think would be tougher to make just effortlessly. But like you said, like a, a post entry, like freaking out. <laughs> That's interesting there. Um, I guess going from there, um, now we're kind of outside like the main like three but two guys I saw interesting, I'm going by your board as well, or just kind of players that you were interested in. Um, let's talk about Jalen Dern a little bit. I mean, he's not – I've seen him kind of mocked between, like, 6 and 11 in some more recently. Um, I guess he's come on pretty fast. I don't really understand. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I know, oh, he's really risen up the last couple of weeks or whatever, um, just to say that. But, like, from where I've seen him, and even in my own little mock draft I was doing, I was like, yeah, I feel like he could help a team as early as Portland at seventh if they weren't that way or something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on 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 Jalen Durant? Yeah, I have him the lowest of the five players we're going to talk about, and uh, I have him currently at number twelve on my board. Okay. I love his defense. I love just about everything there. Uh, I don't know if the pick and roll decision making is uh, is a Penny Hardaway Memphis thing or a Jalen Durant <laughs> thing. Because there's a lot of times where he's like him and his teammate, they'll, I don't know if it's a communication thing. He'll be late to rotate and the guy's open for three on a pick and pop. I don't know what it is, but that really worries me. But offensively and, and just strengths speaking, like he will score very well at the rim. Like, that is something that will translate incredibly well. He has an NBA body. He's a great athlete. And he finishes above the rim just so well. And he's a really good rebounder. The second chance points, those they'll come easy. He's also got good upside as a playmaker. He he can uh, he can pass out of post ups. He can pass from the top of the key to cutters. Really good at that. Um, and also like high low sets. So if he's playing with another big, it's uh, that'd be a really good combination. And then on defense, his shot blocking is incredible. The athleticism allows him to get everywhere. He's a great weak side defender. So if you're playing with him, playing him with another big, uh, he should really thrive. And his lateral quickness is really nice. On the other end of uh, of things. His offense outside of 15 feet, I would say. I mean, the second the, the paint is – there's no more paint. He's uh, he's kind of useless on the offensive end if he's not setting a screen. So that really worries me. He has taken some jump shots, 
but it is not pretty. Uh, the form is really gross. And again, the decision-making kind of on both ends and that kind of factors into just sometimes he'll make a turnover and you'll go, really, what are you doing here? I was going to ask you about the shooting. I've, I've heard a few things about, oh, having some touch between like 10 feet. And it's usually not very high. It's like, oh, well, he's made a few jumpers. Or in one game, I think he made like four or so. And I wanted to ask you, do you see that shot developing? From what I sound like, probably not, just because it's not like a nice looking jump shot. Um, but the fact that he's saying in college is one of those things that like some college prospects will be just an element of the game. They flash in lower levels and it will just go away completely. Do you think he can project that out? Or is he just going to be more like that defensive deterrent rim rolling kind of modern big? Yeah, I, I'd say at least in his rookie contract, he's not shooting. Uh, I mean, DeAndre Aiden still isn't shooting. And DeAndre yeah. Aiden had a real mid-range game with a good jump shot, and he's just not shooting. I don't see why Jalen Duren's should be. Story would go a little <laughs> different. I know, like, every, everybody's different, but someone with good form who did it in college not shooting doesn't make me optimistic that someone with bad form that kind of does it in college is going to do it that quick. So, Definitely if it happens, that. it'll be given five years. Okay. Hey, that's solid reason in there. I'm with you on that. Um, kind of lastly, I'll throw you one name I have left. And then if you want to add somebody else you want to talk about for a second, feel free. But Jay Nivey, I mean, especially over the last uh, week or so, heard a lot about him. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as a player? Yeah, so I did some research on him, some final research. of Well, I hadn't watched him in a little bit, uh, like in full in terms mm. of scouting. I watched the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, but it was more – just casually being like, dang, every five seconds with him. And, uh, but I mean, I don't think I have a single player with more strengths on my pros and cons list uh, than Jaden Ivey. His defensive recovery ability, that athleticism, he knows how to use it well. He's a little bit skinny. So, you know, that's going to hurt him on both ends to an extent. But when you look at his change of speed and the way he gets to the rim, way he finishes at the rim, how well he plays in quick offense and that handle, uh, and the vision and everything like that, and how he glides in the air. I think he's a blend of three players. You know, we see John Morant's name thrown around there. I don't think it's a one-to-one -one at all, but I think if you blend these three guys, you kind of see the, the strengths and weaknesses of all three of them in him. You get John Wall, De'Aaron Fox, and John Morant, which is a very star-studded trio of comparisons. That's kind of what you're looking at. If he had a little bit more reliable of a jump shot, I think he would be the consensus number one pick. Wow. Wow. Okay. I mean, that definitely is a nice little grouping of the three there, but okay. The jump shots kind of in, in, in that, is that a shot that, you know, is good for mid range kind of growing out to three, like a tight tight Washington. Is that a guy who just it's streaky comes and goes. Um, what are we looking at in terms of the outside shot uh, kind of like where it can improve? Yeah. I haven't actually looked at like shot charts for him or anything. Oh, my fault. If I had to, if I had to just go off of what I've seen. Yeah. He has a good floater and runner, so I think it'll ultimately develop. I've always looked at that as a way because touch and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but pull-up mid-range shooting, it's okay. His mid-range as a whole, I'd say, is okay. His three-point shot, it just he doesn't get lift. It's kind of slow. And I don't know how well he's going to shoot over NBA defenders. So uh, okay. I, I think here's my stance. I think he'll be around league average. We've seen all three of those players actually have been below league average as shooters, and they're all all-star caliber players. So true, uh, true. Clearly, the jump shot's a bonus almost more than anything, and I'm probably overthinking Jaden Ivey with that. I feel you on that, definitely. Um, are there any players in this class that seem like not overrated per se, but valued higher than you have them? I, I mentioned, of course, Jalen Duran and how you had him a little lower, but you know, still in the lottery, just more toward 12, and I was seeing him and putting him aside myself around like 7 to 10. Are there other players like that that are – people definitely are very high on you. Like, Hey, I'm not, not high on them, but I'm just not all the way there yet. 
Yeah, there's two guys in the lottery, uh, generally kind of lottery range. One's a surefire lottery pick. The other may get in the lottery and the other, who the hell knows with his draft stock. But <laughs> uh, the first one is Johnny Davis. I'm not there on him. There's a guy on Toledo, Ryan Rollins, and I think he's a mid-major version and does a lot of things better than him. Oh. He has better handles, um, My, but more on Johnny Davis, I should say on topic here. Mm. But he, uh, my <laughs> issue with him is like, can he create separation on his jump shots? He loves the jump shot. And to me, you know, people are always like, oh, he's Devin Booker. He plays just like him. But Devin Booker isn't predictable behind screens like him. And, and he creates a lot better separation. I think a lot of people underrate that because Devin Booker is not a great athlete, but he knows how to separate on his jump shots. And Johnny Davis is very far on that front against Penn State. Uh, I think it was his first single digit scoring game. He was getting blocked on half his jump shots. And that's really alarming. Oh, God. Uh, someone. Someone else that's a little bit alarming for me is Patrick Baldwin. Uh, this one's a very quick, simple one. We haven't really seen the production. It was a it was a disaster at Milwaukee. The FIBA tournament, the U19s, where people were like, oh, this guy's legit. He shot 32% from three, and he's supposed to be an elite shooter. There's been no track record of it, really, outside of, like, some AAU games. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how well that translates. Yeah, he's 6'9 with beautiful form, but Ben McLemore also had great size with beautiful form, and he's a journeyman. So I don't know what to make of him. And then the last one, I don't know how I've seen this guy still in first round mocks. He's averaging three points and three rebounds a game on 33% shooting. And that's Peyton Watson of UCLA. He was also on that FIBA team and he was terrible at UCLA. Don't get me wrong. It's not all his fault. Mick Cronin was horrible for him, but he, that doesn't mean that, Oh, he's still first round pick. He would have literally the worst staff ever of a first round pick. And that probably dates back to the first NBA draft ever. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like and you wow. have to look at it in context. That sounds so mean. What I just said, he can get yeah. better, but he's not ready to go to the draft. Wow. Okay. And there's one that, and he's already kind of set in his mind too. Now, mind you, I'm not fully sure up on this. He could declare and then kind of gauge a field and go back, or is this hit for him? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They they made it almost impossible for you to be stuck. So okay, that's good. a good thing. For him. Because, good. Because if you say it like that, like. <laughs> That that's that's as definitive a take as I can get on a player. Maybe want to pump the brakes a bit. That's at least there's hope. Okay, good. Because wow, that's yikes. I get you on that. I'm glad you brought uh, two guys in particular, both um Baldwin, but specifically um Johnny Davis. Where I was interested, I was gonna put them on the list of players I wanted to kind of get more of a scouting report on, but I wasn't quite sure they were in the top, like in the type of set order that I knew three of these guys and Jay Nivey would be, you know, and Jalen Dern was just my own personal one. So I'm glad we did get a take on Johnny Davis. I didn't know what to make of him, to be honest with you. From what I saw, I'm okay. Got some six, five shooting guard, but the way you described it perfectly. And I mean, with that, with the shots coming and going, that's not great when you're a shooting guard like that. Um, but kind of going from just the college, you know, Mark's Madness, everything there, but more to the G league. Um, what are your thoughts on this G league night team and their prospects are looking to enter the NBA draft this year? You know, you have, course jane hardy michael foster dyson daniels and Mar- marjan bochev i know i haven't heard a lot about them in this upper part of the lottery so i'm imagining them more toward the back but i could be just going off of my own research here yeah they it's it's funny because the last year's ignite team was definitely better uh, especially at the top they had kaminga jalen green and even isaiah todd and those were the first third they were three of the first 31 picks but it's weird because you could have four of the first 35 yeah, uh, pick the G League Ignite guys, whereas they only had three guys drafted from that team last year. And um, the only difference is, I don't know if any of the G League Ignite guys go lottery. The best chance is either Dyson Daniels or Marjon Beauchamp. Um, Dyson Daniels is intriguing. He's kind of like a combo of Jarrett Culver as a prospect 
and Malcolm Brogdon. Okay. Um, you know, not not athletic. Not, he doesn't blow by people. He doesn't finish above the rim. And his jump shot, he – I don't know how to describe this over a podcast, but you know when you're playing – and I'm, I'm going to turn on my video so you can see this maybe help. But, like, okay. you know when you're playing and you, like – I got a ball right behind me. It's actually perfect. Oh, so, I love it. Ignore, ignore the fact that I dropped my cup that it pulled on. So sometimes guys will like put it normally. You really can't see, but my hand is yeah. right here. Oh, I see. Yep. It's like all the way under and it hurts my wrist just to do this, Ooh. but it's just to exaggerate. And it, it gets a good follow through, but he cannot get that off in time. And uh, now that I've ruined my setup, over here. I don't, no, no, I did it to myself. I'm an idiot, but <laughs> I, uh, that's my issue with Dyson Daniels is that jump shot. I don't know how well that is going to translate because it's one thing. Yes. You want your hand under the ball. That is a fundamental of shooting, but do you want it to be like hurting your wrist? I've done that trying to get my father back and it hurts. So that's my worry with him. He's really intelligent though. Great basketball IQ and quick feet defensively. He's going to contribute there. Uh, and then Marjan Bochamp. I just don't worry. I worry about his jump shot and his handle to really translate to the NBA. That is interesting. Yeah. Of Dyson Downs, of course, is the one that I was, um, intrigued by the way you described the shooting, man. That I tried to do it when I saw you do it. I'm like, yeah, just contorting your in your wrist. Now nah, I'm good. Yeah, it hurts. <laughs> I would do this. Yeah, exactly. Like there's something weird there. But like in my dream, it was exp- exhibition. But seeing him in that all-star weekend, like the passing, some of the feel there was definitely really neat, you know? Yeah, the passing is really nice too. He can pass in transition, half court, pick and roll. Uh, all of it. He's he's really gifted in that regard. Definitely. Um, real quick before I exit out of this uh, area, I, I heard uh, Michael Foster. He's someone that I, I imagine is probably one of the lower of this group. What is your thoughts on? Is he someone that? Could, I mean, I, like well, back half of the lottery potentially. Oh, not back half of the lottery. Back half of the draft. Like he seems like offensively pretty kind of talented there. Defensively, and from what I've seen. Man, to not really good, but I'm just kind of curious about him because he's just kind of there, in my opinion. And I know that's kind of, I mean, this is an outsider, so I feel yeah. okay saying that, but like, I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, I liked him going into the season. He started very slow. I think he improved his body mid-season, and the it paid wonders. Uh, he's, per, he's really strong. Uh, loves to play like Julius Randle. I don't think that's a real comparison, though, in terms of play style because the jump shot is a lot better, and he's not the passer Julius Randle is. Mm. The issue for him is can he guard smaller players? That's going to be his big test because we've seen flashes of it, but we've also seen flashes of him looking like he's Ennis Cantor out there. So oh, gosh. I don't know what to – yeah, it, it, he's a good athlete. It's a really weird combo. Um, I don't know what to make of him. I personally would take him top 50. I, I think okay. after, after the 50th pick, you're getting good value. Again, I, I just value things like you see the improvement midseason, like him working on his body. and things. It's, it's almost rare. Take guys that – that have a work ethic and Michael Foster is clearly one of them. There you go. I like that for sure. Okay. And that, wow. Well, that was a really good breakdown of the G league in general. I really was hopeful that we'd see a lot more of them littered in that kind of first 14 or so, but I think watching where these guys fall is going to be interesting. Just 14 thing. Like you said, good value for some of these clubs, wherever they go. Um, I'll definitely be looking at Foster. He's someone I was intrigued by a little bit going in uh, more specifically, but Rich, I appreciate you coming on. Um, talking draft with me, talking philosophy on that really meant a lot. Um, before I let you go, I do this with every first time guest. It started, you know, shout out to Sportsman's Classroom, um, Las Vegas last year. <laughs> I had on my phone um, 
wallpaper that was made for me. I'm mean, out to give credit to God on Twitter. I've done it before. I'll put the link, but I had wallpaper, my five favorite players, not like, and it was misconstrued almost off the top, but my wallpaper had um, Monte Ellis, Latrell Sprewell, um, Michael Beasley, Tay Rogier, and Russell Westbrook. And so I had, I'll show my, um, someone I'd met in summer league. I was trying to get the number um, just for a connection. I flashed on my phone and it shows all five. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And I was like, oh yeah, those are my, like the top best players of all time. But my brain like didn't mean to say best. I'm going to say favorite. And they were like, and instantly I felt the judging. I was really, you know, selling myself on someone who's like a big <laughs> NBA fan. And automatically I was like, I did not mean it like that, man. So then I was like, you know what though? Like, <laughs> that's so intriguing. Like I'm intrigued by like folks who, you know, I, I want to get your favorite players. Like what, I think in a way it tells kind of what kind of made them fall in love with ball or their fandom or it's evolved. At first I thought it was like a simple question, but I've interviewed like, or not interviewed, but I've had people on the show, um, like Brendan Nunes, who I think covers um, the Kings. And I think, I am I'm getting this wrong. It might've been Matt Brooks who covered the Nets, but one of them was from Minnesota. And so like they cover the Nets, but like four of their five players were all Timberwolves. I thought it was hilarious. Or like, you know, um, when I had Shane Young, you know, Clippers guy, but general NBA guy, but like he was in diff- a different mix of players. I had another guy who was a mix of NBA and WNBA players, and it was I had uh, my friend Gary Bouguet had like a first team, second team, third team. So all of that has just made that a question. I have to ask you: Who are your top five favorite players of all time? I call it the Hoop Vibe Squad, Man. and what kind of I, I want to get your five. I'm really intrigued by it. Man, okay, so I don't, it doesn't have to be positional, right? I don't need to. No, it does okay. not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes things easier. I think I know my answer. Uh, I've been thinking about this, okay. and my lineup is a three guard lineup, a wing, and Dirk Nowitzki. So I'll start with that. Uh, I think that went without saying that Dirk is in there. Of course. Um, it's going to, you know, I, I had a my fifth spot. I was deciding between two players. Uh, my One of my wings was, I, I had this pretty safely. Uh, wings, I say one of the biggest guard, which is Penny Hardaway. Uh, like I said, first memory was seeing him grow up magic fan, so like he was iconic. Um, really shame to see him be under investigation now and like kind of fail at Memphis in that regard. Oh man, but um, still love Penny. My other quote unquote wing, this one's a more true one. Now, this is where it got hard because <clears throat> I didn't know what to do with this. Okay. Do I take Vince Carter, who I grew up idolizing, mm-hmm. or do I take the new? and take Luka Doncic. So that was a tough one. Uh, I, I ultimately just went retro and went with Vince Carter. Okay. I mean, half man. I mean, like, half amazing. Like, yes, sir. I, and I might have just watched it. Now I'm really worried I just called him the wrong thing. It is half man. Half, it is half man. Half 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 amazing. Man. Yeah. I'll take it a different adjective. Okay, cool. And then my guard, <laughs> guards. So, I t- uh, like I said, in 2017, Donovan Mitchell, I, I was, uh, you know, he was my guy. I love watching him play. Unfortunately, as we're recording this, actually, the Mavs are playing the Jazz. And I hate these days because they're playing Donovan Mitchell and our fans hate him. But the last one, Allen Iverson, first favorite player, actually. I just, I grew up loving him. I, I hated the Lakers growing up. I apologize. I'm looking right at the Shaft poster. Uh, and and uh, dude, I loved it when he took game one or game two uh, against the Lakers. I mean, whichever one it was. Yeah, game one, called, 48. Yeah. And he walked over Ty Lue, like all the, I, I just, I loved his game. He was the sauciest player I've ever seen. And like, I, I just, I love his game. Hey, that is, I mean, that was a saucy pick. That's a nice, interesting five. So it's Allen Iverson, Donovan Mitchell, Penny Hardaway, um, Vince Carter, and Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, me combo. <laughs> that is, that's a really good one. I, I mean, there's some balance on there. I'm not going to pretend to evaluate that on like a basketball level, but like the offense would be electrifying for certain. 
<laughs> yeah, <nobody laughs> that. Oh man, thank you so much, man, for coming on. So I appreciate you. Uh, listen, can you tell the listeners, you know, obviously where they can find you um, and your work, of course, and yeah. Yeah, I pretty much everything's posted to the hub at Draft on Twitter. Anything I do on there, I'll post a, I'll post a tweet with a link to. Um, that'll be either my site, mapsdraft.com. I'll do big boards, mock drafts, scouting reports. A lot of those coming in the next 80 something days till the draft. Love and it. then locked on NBA draft uh, every Tuesday I host. So oh, that's, that's, awesome. uh, that's my stuff I got. Hey, really appreciate you spending the time here with me, Rich. Really thank you for that. Um, like I said, as a fan of it, it's, it's worlds colliding, but I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, man, listen, I will definitely be staying tuned and hopefully can get you on sometime in the future. But uh, I thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And let's definitely do it again. This is fun. Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, y'all. Definitely make sure to follow Mavs Draft on Twitter. Pretty simple at Mavs Draft. Like, definitely make sure to check that out. I, I, I said that right. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> Don't know why I went and second guessed myself there. But you can find me on Twitter if you uh so want to. Um at Corbin NBA. Definitely would appreciate that. Um, check out Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Uh, simple there as well one more time before i let y'all go please make sure to use the coupon code hoopball20 i know we're sports ethos now but hoopball20 is still the code we're using at manscape.com for the 20 percent off your order plus free shipping also check out our pals at mybookie.ag use the code hoopball on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well so hoopball20 for manscaped mybookie ag is called hoopball pretty simple and that's going to do it here for uh another episode of Ramble Ramble. I appreciate y'all for rocking with me again. Thank y'all so much. For Mavs Draft, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.